you have your Bibles tonight with you, would you open them please once again to the book of Jeremiah? We preach from this book this morning, but in Sunday night we're on a sermon series through this book. We're looking at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, a man who did not want to be a prophet, but he was called of God to be one. A man who was comfortable being Clark Kent, but he was called to be Superman. He was called to take a message of judgment to a nation that had forgotten God and forsaken him, to the church that had forgotten God and forsaken him, to homes and to lives of people that had forgotten God and forsaken him. It was a message of judgment. Tonight in Jeremiah chapter 5, the stench of sin. The stench of sin. Verse 20 of Jeremiah chapter 5 reads, Declare this in the house of Jacob. Publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, who have not understanding. You have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, but you cannot hear. Verse 25, your iniquities have turned away these blessings that God wants to give you. Your sins have withheld good things from you. From among my people, verse 26, are found the most wicked of men. Wow. That's God speaking to his nation, to his church, to the homes and to the people of Jeremiah's day. Let me ask you a question. What's the most feared animal in the animal kingdom? A gorilla? King Kong? <laughs> no, good guess so. How about the lion, the king of the beast? No. How about the massive elephant? Nobody messes with the elephant. He has to be the most feared of the animals. No, not. What about the crocodile? Good guess, but no. The most feared animal in the animal kingdom, believe it or not, is an animal that's not much bigger than a cat. It's called a skunk. And that little black and white colored animal can spray a nauseating foul odor on its victims. And it can spray that odor upwards to 10 feet. And that odor can be smelled upwards to two and a half miles. And it doesn't come off easily. It wears off over the days and weeks to come. Now, in our verses, the Israelites have become a bunch of skunks. And they have sprayed their foul odor before God. And that odor is sin. Their sin has nauseated God and removed his blessings from them, as we read in verse 25. 
as we heard this morning, particularly in regard to prayer, sin will keep God from listening to our prayers. Sin will keep God from acting upon our prayers. Sin will withhold the blessings of God from us, the goodness of God from us. Now you might be thinking, why is God so hard on sin? Why is God so hard on sin? Well, maybe it's because sin degrades and sin destroys. Maybe it's because sin damages and sin decimates. Maybe because sin takes what God has created and what God has redeemed And it's like polio to a child. It deforms, it debilitates, and it leads to death. Maybe that's why God is so hard on sin, because He knows what sin can do to the creation that He made and loved and to those that He's redeemed and loves equally. But I believe God hates sin for one reason even more than that. Because sin cost Him His Son. Sin cost God His only beloved, begotten Son. Sin cost God the crown prince of heaven. Sin cost God Jesus. Have you ever thought about it in its simplest terms? We sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve to die because of our sin. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth will die. But Jesus took our sin... He who knew no sin became our sin on the cross. And when He took our sin, He took our penalty for that sin, and that is death. Physical death and spiritual death. Sin costs God His Son. You might say, as the song somewhat says, We got the gold mine and he got the shaft. Jesus paid for our sin in full. And maybe that's why God hates sin so much. He sees what it does to creation. He sees what it does to redemption. But more than anything, he saw what it did to his son on that cross of Calvary. In our verses... Israel has made sin a daily practice. A lifestyle of sin they have developed. They have willfully, listen to me, they have willfully chosen to practice habitually, perpetually, continually, constantly, idolatry, immorality, and injustice. They have purposely went out to find pagan gods who would allow them to do such practices under the auspices of worship. 
They have made sin the rule, not the exception. What should have been just a lapse, they made a habit. And the smelly sin of what they're doing, like a foul odor from a skunk, has reached the nostrils of God. And God is now withdrawing, listening and answering their prayers. He's taking away his blessings from them. God will get our attention when we sin. We get his attention, but he gets our attention. That brings us to another question. How could the Israelites get where they're at in Jeremiah chapter? How could they get to a point where idolatry was a way of life, immorality was a habit, injustice was a regular occurrence? How in the world could they ever get there? I mean, think about who the Israelites were. They were a covenant people. God made promises to them, and God wanted to keep those promises to them. They were a chosen people. Of all the races of people in this world, God looked at the Hebrew people, he looked at the Jewish people, and he said, I want to make you mine. They were a called out people. God called them out to redemption. God called them out to be witnesses of that redemption to a lost and dying world. They were a blessed people. No people has ever been as blessed as God's people, the Israelites and God's nation, Israel. They were a rich people. Think about the great leaders that come out of Israel. They had Moses, they had Abraham, they had Elijah, they had David. They had seen the great miracles of God as no other people in the world had ever seen them. They'd seen great victories won in battle. This was a special people. How in the world could they turn from God, forsake God, and go into a world of idolatry, immorality, and injustice? How could they even go into pagan worship? How could a sweet-smelling rose now become the foul odor of sewage? How could that happen? I heard the story about a man who wanted to sell his house in Haiti, Norman, for $2,000. Well, he found a buyer, but the buyer could not afford to pay $2,000. Well, the seller wanted to get rid of the house. The buyer really needed a house, so they struck a deal. He would reduce the house from $2,000 to $1,000 purchase price. But, <laughs> whenever you hear that, you better watch out. But, there was a condition, just a little small condition that had to be met. The owner, the original owner, would sell the house to the buyer, but he would retain ownership of just one nail 
that was stuck in the wall over the front door. Everything else the buyer would get, signed, sealed, delivered, legally, properly. But the original owner, because he's giving a price reduction, would get that one nail that stuck out over the entrance door. Well, the deal was made. Handshakes done, paperwork signed. And the new owner was enjoying his home until one day, several weeks later, the old owner showed up. And he brought with him something that was rather unusual to bring for a housewarming gift, if you want to call it that. He bought the carcass of a dead dog. This dog had been lying out in the road for a few days. He didn't smell too good. And he was bloated and he was decaying and all the things that go with all of that, which I won't go into. And the original owner said, listen, that nail that's mine, I want to hang this carcass up there. So he took that dead, bloated, rotten carcass and stuck it on the nail over the front door. And he said, have a good day. And he left. Well, the new owner, what can he do? That's not his nail. That's private property. That's the original owner's. He tried to put up with it for a few days. <laughs> tried to put up with it for a few weeks and finally said, listen, I can't live here anymore. He went back to the original owner and said, listen, you've got to take this house back. The original owner said, I'll take it back for $100. He said, I don't care what you do, whatever. Now, that's a silly little story. But what's the point of it? If you give sin any access to your life, even if it's just one nail or one peg, it will eventually, it will eventually stink and it'll eventually make our Christian life nauseating and uninhabitable to God's Spirit. In other words, if you give sin an inch, it'll do what? It'll take a mile. And you see, that's what the Israelites had done. You see, you just don't wake up one morning and find yourself an idolater. You just don't wake up one morning and find yourself immoral. You just don't wake up one morning and find yourself involved in things that are unjust. It doesn't just happen. It's a progression that takes place. The peg is put up. The carcass is hung. And in time, everything begins to get right. You know, that's how it was with Israel. I wonder if that's not how it is with us. There's anything I hope you learn from the Bible and this preacher is the Bible's not just a history book about things that happened yesterday. It is a history book about things that are happening today. It's not just about the Israelites then. It's about Americans now. It's not just about what they did then. It's about what we're doing now. And whenever you play fast and loose with sin, eventually that sin that you gave an inch will take a mile. 
eventually that sin that you put a peg up for will come and it will cause a stench in your life. And God will be driven away from you. You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about alcoholic beverage. We have some Christians who say it's okay. It's okay as long as you don't get drunk. We're talking about sex outside marriage. We've got some who say it's okay as long as you love one another. We're talking about homosexuality. Some say it's okay because God made them that way. God made you that way. We're talking about abortion. Some people say it's okay as long as the baby is still inside the womb. Because it really doesn't become life till it's completely outside the womb. Therefore, partial birth abortion's okay. Talking about those who would say stealing and lying is okay. As long as you're poor. Or you're not hurting anyone. I'm talking about those who would say cursing is okay. As long as you're trying to make a strong point. Are you working in an environment where that's the culture and everybody talks that way? I'm talking about those who say it's okay to go to bars and clubs and strip joints as long as you're being a witness there. That is a joke. I don't know anybody that goes to those places to witness. They go in those places to participate with what takes place in them. I'm talking about those who say it's okay to lay out a church as long as you're worshiping in the fishing boat or from the hunting stand. You see, that's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We give sin just an inch. We justify it. And then sin that we thought we control controls us. And that's what the Israelites did. Oh, it sounded so good. Sin always sounds good to those who want to do it. But understand, when you allow sin to become a peg in your life, it's eventually going to stink up the whole house and take your house from you. Do you get the point I'm trying to make? Israel didn't get there overnight. It got there through a series of compromises. Now, when Jeremiah confronts them, their response is twofold in closing. Remember, the prophet Jeremiah was called by God to be the mouthpiece of God to his nation, to his people. I again remind you, Jeremiah didn't sign up for the job, he was drafted. It wasn't something he enjoyed doing. He endured it. He found no pleasure in telling his nation that God is preparing you for judgment. He found no joy in telling the church of of his day, you are corrupt and God is ready to shut you down. He found no happiness and confronting the people with their sin. It was a thankless, lonely, isolated, painful job. And Jeremiah had to do it. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, 
We're going to see he paid a price to do that. When Jeremiah confronted Israel, their response to him was one of two things. They tried, first of all, to cover up their sin with religion. When you try to cover up your sin with religion, it's like a football player who's been on the practice field for three hours going into the locker room and saying, I don't want to get a shower. I'm just going to take some Old Spice cologne and pour it all over me. Boy, that's nauseating even to think about it. A stinky old spice man. But that's what Israel was doing. They somehow thought that they could camouflage their scent that was nauseating to God by masking it with the cologne of religion. Yes, we're sinning against God, but, 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 we're going to do some good deeds and that'll placate God. God will understand. We're going to do some emotional worship. We'll get up and we'll dance and we'll wave our hands and we'll shout and we'll sing and we'll dare. We'll get excited. Oh, God, I love it. We'll take care of our environment. We'll make sure that we're cleaning up the land and cleaning up the water and cleaning up the lair. After all, God loves our world and he'll love us for doing it. We'll go do missions. We'll go to Haiti, Norman. We'll go to Dominican Republic. We'll, we'll get busy. We'll go slap some paint on somebody's wall. We'll go put a roof on somebody's house. We'll go sweep somebody's floor. We'll put Christian in front of everything. And that'll make it right. Christian drinking. Christian gambling. As long as we put Christian on it, that, that, that makes it okay. And that's what Israel was doing. And Jeremiah called them out. He said, do you think you're covering up your sin with this nauseating cologne called religion? Are we doing the same thing sometimes? I'm living in sin with my boyfriend or girlfriend. But that's okay because I do come to church. I do help with the Awana program. I do give a little bit of my money to the work. And I do invite people to come to church. So let's weigh it all out. I guess my good outweighs my bad, so God's okay with it. They tried to cover up their sin with their religion. And then they come up with another idea when it wouldn't work. This is Israel's response to God's message. They said, we'll get rid of Jeremiah. We're going we're to get rid of this prophet of gloom and doom. 
We're just going to get rid of him. We'll, we'll put him in a prison. We'll turn out the lights. We'll lock the door. He won't get any visitors. So nobody's going to know this depressing message he's telling us. We'll shut up God's message by shutting up God's messenger. We're pretty smart, aren't we? We'll just get rid of him. And then God won't be able to say anything to us anymore, and we won't have to feel guilty. Don't we do the same thing? I don't like what God's prophet is saying to us. So I think I'll go down the road where that prophet doesn't say anything about my sin. I don't like what this church stands for. So I'm going to go find me a church that believes in what I'm doing is okay. That's why church is a musical merry-go-round anymore. We're always trying to find a preacher. We're always trying to find a church that says what we're doing is okay. And listen, if you look long enough, I promise you, you'll find it. Just get rid of the preacher or get rid of the church. Find your new preacher, find your new church, and everything will be okay. And that's what Israel did. Judgment is coming, as we're going to see when we continue in our book through Jeremiah. What should have God's people done then? What should God's people do now? If you find yourself far away from God, if you find yourself with your prayers not being answered, the blessings of God being withdrawn, if you find yourself living a lifestyle that is so far from what you ever thought you would ever live, what do you need to do? Well, you don't need to cover it up with some cheap perfume or cologne called religion. You don't need to change preachers and change churches. What you need to do is acknowledge that you've sinned. Acknowledge that you've sinned. Take ownership for what you've done. You don't blame anybody else. You don't justify it. You don't defend it. I did it. I did it because I wanted to do it. Ownership. Acknowledge your sin. We don't like to do that. But that's what you have to do. And then you need to confess your sin. God, I was wrong. I was wrong thinking this way. I was wrong feeling this way. I was wrong talking this way. I've been wrong doing this way. I've been wrong in the lifestyle that I've been living. Not only am I guilty of it, I did it. But I was wrong in doing it. And then you turn from that sin. That's called repentance. I see that I'm going the wrong way by my own choice. I acknowledge that I'm going the wrong way. I'm now going to stop and turn and go back the right way.
And then you get cleansed from your sin. What can wash away my sin? Help me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not religion, but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can forgive us. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can make us whole and holy. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can give us a fragrance, a euphora that reaches the nostrils of God, and he says, wow, I love that smell. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can put a new clothing on us. The wardrobe of righteousness. Wisdom and faith and love. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can give us a transfusion of energy and magnetism and power. Not only to live the Christian life, but to influence others towards it and in it. That's what God wants us to do. That's what he wanted them to do. And they didn't. As I said this morning, America's at the crossroads. The church of Jesus Christ is at the crossroads. Our homes and our lives are at the crossroads. Aren't we going to dilly-dally? Or are we going to do something? We seniors probably can make it through. And we could be selfish and say we don't care as long as we cover our hides, we're okay. But what about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about your great-grandchildren? What kind of America are we giving them? What kind of church are we giving them? What kind of home, what kind of culture are we giving them? God help them if we do nothing. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.